Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I want to start by talking about the OG Ananobi trade. This past weekend, the Toronto Raptors traded him to the New York Knicks. I want to talk about all the details of this trade and what this deal means for the Raptors and the Knicks. After that, I will discuss Lamar Jackson's MVP case, why he is the heavy favorite to win the NFL MVP award, and whether or not he actually deserves to win the MVP. After that, I want to talk about bowl season in college football. Specifically, I want to talk about Georgia's big win over Florida State, what that game means for Florida State. I also want to talk about some of the problems with the current bowl system in college football. I'll also recap the college football playoff games or the college football playoff semifinal games between Michigan and Alabama and Washington and Texas. And then to close out the podcast, I will do a little preview for the upcoming national championship between Michigan and Washington. And that's what we have on tap for today's episode. I'm super excited. I hope you are as well. Let's not waste any more time and dive right in. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the podcast. We're going to start by talking about the OG and Anobi trade. Before I get into any content, though, I just want to wish y'all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope the holidays were great for y'all. Um, The Christmas season was great for me. It was awesome. I really enjoyed the break. Had a lot of fun. And I also want to apologize for not getting an episode out last week. I meant to, but I was going on a mission trip with my church, um, a three-day trip, and I meant to get an episode out on Wednesday, but um, I got this new audio mixer, and I was trying to work with it. I recorded an episode, but the audio quality was not very good, and I was unable to get an episode out, so I apologize for that, but we're back here today, and I'm really excited about this new audio mixer because um, I'm able to record audio through it, and it has some sound effects on it, and I put some custom sound effects on it, so let's see. um, Let's go with a little bonk sound here. You like that? I kind of like that. So, we also got some other sounds. Got, uh, bruh. Bruh. Got a bruh sound effect. Got a lot of stuff in there. I'll see how I can incorporate that into the podcast. So, I'm excited about that. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into the content. That's what y'all are here for. Y'all are not here to, to hear about the, uh, the audio mixer. But let's go ahead and talk about the OG Ananobi trade. So, on Saturday, the Toronto Raptors traded OG Ananobi to the New York Knicks. Um, and the Knicks got OG, OG Ananobi, Prentice Sakua, and Malachi Flynn, while the Raptors received RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, and a 2024 second round pick from the Detroit Pistons. Interesting trade. Uh, we've been hearing trade rumors with OG Ananobi for a very long time. A very long time. So it's really not surprising whatsoever that OG got traded. However, I was really surprised by the timing of it. Um, the timing of it was a little bit weird. Um, or just, it's really surprising that happened already. Um, I didn't realize that a trade was about to go down. And then I got the notification that, that Ananobi had been traded. So that was really interesting. Um, let's start by talking about OG Ananobi and like what he provides for the Knicks, because that's the biggest part of this trade. Um, I like Ananobi a few years ago. I was a huge fan of his. Um, I still like him, but I don't love him quite as much. There are some areas of his game that haven't quite, haven't improved 
quite as much as I would like, like his creation ability. Um, I think he provides a lot of valuable traits, like his three-point shooting, his perimeter defense, um, but he's not an amazing scorer. He's not a great playmaker. He, he doesn't really create his own shot um, as well as you'd like, and so I think he's a, a great role player, um, a great role-playing starter, but he's not a star. He's not a star, um, and so that's my my one issue with him is that he's not quite he doesn't quite fit that star archetype uh, because he he isn't a great shot creator for himself and his teammates. However, he is a very valuable player, and we've seen in the past him provide pretty good impact um, in, in a very valuable role, and so I like that, and I think he will be a great fit next to Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, um, so for that, I like this trade, and I like what he brings to the team, and I think he is a better fit for the Knicks than RJ Barrett was, um, and so I really like that. Now, Precious Akua and Malachi Flynn, I don't think they're that big of uh, pieces in this trade. Um, I think they're they're solid players, but honestly, I don't think either will play a huge role. Akua may play a, a, a bit of a bigger role than Malachi Flynn, because right now, the Knicks don't have much in their front court. They have Isaiah Hartenstein. I hope I said that name right. Um, he's a good player, but other than him, they don't have many bigs, so we could see him play a decent amount, but Malachi Flynn, I'm not sure what his role is going to look like in New York, but I do love what OG Ananobi provides for this team, um, and so I like that. I like the, that the Knicks are were able to bring him in. Now let's talk about what this trade means for the Raptors. Um, the biggest piece for them in this trade is Emmanuel Quickly. Um, so I'll start with him. I like Emmanuel Quickly a lot. He's a plus scorer who can score on decent volume. He's also a really good perimeter shooter. When you look at his numbers this season, um, he's, he's shooting really well from the perimeter, and that's from mid-range and three-point range. He's been good. Um, he's got a little bit of creation. Not, he's not a great creator, but um, he's really good at limiting turnovers, and he's a solid defender despite being pretty small. He's not a big player. He's I think 6'3", 190 pounds, so he's a smaller player, but still able to, to provide some some decent impact on the end of the floor. Um, it'll be really inter interesting to see if the Raptors will bring him back as a restricted free agent. Um, I think they will, assuming they made a deal like this. I think they want him long term. They'll give him a, a, a contract. Apparently, he wants a contract between, I think, 25 and $30 million, which that's not bad at all, honestly. Like I think, I think they could end up, uh, you know, signing him to a team-friendly deal, which would be awesome. That would be great. So I, I love that for them. Another piece of this deal is R.J. Barrett. Honestly, R.J. Barrett's not great. Not a great player. I'm not a big fan of his. He's not very efficient as a scorer. He can score on volume. He can get to the rim, but he isn't a great shooter. He's also not a great passer, not, not a great defender. There's not a lot to like about his game, and he's on a decently sized contract. Um, he's not on his rookie contract anymore. He's on his second contract, and it's not huge, um, so it's not like a horrific contract, but he's just not good enough to make the money that he's making. Um, I think he's making around between 25 and $30 million, and I'm just not sure that he's worth that contract. And so um, I think the um, 
the Raptors bringing in R.J. Barrett is what allowed them to get Emmanuel quickly. I think that R.J. Barrett is not a big part of this deal. He'll play with the Raptors, but um, I just don't think that he's a major part of the team's future. And I think that, honestly, he's a pretty negative player, not a great player. And that's I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That's just my evaluation of him as a player. I think there are a lot of weaknesses in his game. Um, and so that, those are my thoughts about him. But I do love the fact that the Raptors were able to get Emmanuel quickly. He's really good. He's young. He's younger than Ananobi. I think those two are kind of similar players. I know they're at different points in their development. When you look at where um, Ananobi was as a player at the same age that quickly is now he was providing similar impact and so i like this trade i think it's a decent um trade for both sides honestly a win-win um didn't i it wasn't a trade that i was like oh i love this for either for either team but i do think both teams um got decent returns here um for players that they didn't necessarily want long term it seems like so i like that and i think it's a solid win-win uh trade for both sides and yeah those are my thoughts about the trade and what it means for both of these teams now I'm going to move on talk about Lamar Jackson's MVP case. Before I do that, I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back. Okay, now let's talk about Lamar Jackson's MVP case, why he's the heavy favorite to win the award, and whether or not he should actually be named the MVP. So right now, Lamar Jackson is... It's crazy how much of a favorite he is to win the MVP. I looked at his odds on FanDuel, and he is at minus 20,000 to win the MVP award, so he's going to win it. There's no way he doesn't win the award at this point with those odds. He's going to win it, and there's only one week left in the season. There's nothing that could happen in Week 18 for him to lose the award. And he's probably not even going to play in Week 18 because I believe the, the Ravens have clinched the number one seed in the AFC, so he's probably not even going to play in that game, so um, he's basically basically got the MVP wrapped up, um, and there are a few reasons why. A big reason why is because of the success that the Ravens have had this year. They are 13-3. and um, They're probably the best team in the league. Um, in, in the episode that I recorded last week that I didn't end up publishing, I said that the 49ers were the best team in the league. And honestly, I thought there was a good case to be made for them still being the best team in the league despite losing to the Ravens uh, two weeks ago. But the Ravens came out had a dominant performance against, against the Dolphins this week. And that was an incredible performance from Lamar Jackson. He was awesome. He had a perfect passer rating. was just unbelievable unbelievably good in that game he was awesome oh. <clears throat> so now I think the Ravens are the best team in the league they have the best record I believe um and their advanced numbers are really really good they're awesome their defense is great their offense is good um it's been interesting to see people talk about Lamar Jackson's MVP case. A lot of film people on Twitter, you know, love Lamar Jackson, so they are very in favor of him winning the award. And then you've seen some people who are um, more what you would call stat nerds, 
people like myself um, who are who have pointed out that his EPA numbers, his expected points added numbers, are a little bit low for an MVP favorite. Um, and I've seen people like Kevin Cole, who used to work at PFF, he's pointed this out, um, pointed out the fact that um, that Lamar Jackson's EPA numbers are just not amazing um, and are surprisingly low for a MVP favorite or someone who is this big of a favorite to win the MVP award. Now, I will point out that Kevin Cole has not said that Lamar Jackson should not win the award, but he has pointed out that you do have to consider that the team's offensive efficiency has not been amazing. It has not been elite, um, especially when compared to the offensive efficiency of the teams of other MVP favorites or other MVP candidates like Dak Prescott and Josh Allen. Um, so I thought that's an interesting um, thing to point out to consider. I think it's something you should consider. Um, now, in my opinion, as a stat nerd myself, I am not uh, someone who would say, you know, Lamar Jackson should not win the MVP because his, MVP because his EPA numbers are not great. I think that he is far better than his NBA numbers would indicate. When you look at his individual skill set, when you look at his more advanced numbers that, you know, measure things that he does well as an individual player, like his accuracy, um, his sack avoidance, his, perform his performance under pressure, um, his ability to throw the intermediate ball, he does all of that extremely well. And he's also one of the highest graded players by PFF or one of the highest-graded quarterbacks by PFF this year. So I think that, I think Lamar Jackson is more than deserving of the MVP award. If he wins, I think that will be, he will be um, deserving of it. Um, I might lean towards like Josh Allen or Dak Prescott because I think that um, there are things that they do better than Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson does so many things at a very high level. He's an elite scrambler, a great runner. Um, he's great under pressure. He actually has the highest PFF grade under pressure this year among all quarterbacks, which is really impressive. He's been super accurate. Um, and the offense, the Ravens offense, has been very efficient this year, despite not having the best supporting cast for Lamar Jackson. Obviously, their offensive line has been has been good this year, but um, the receiving core has not been great. Um, the receiving core is not amazing. I love what I've seen from Zay Flowers, but outside of him, they don't have a lot of great receivers. You know, they're missing Mark Andrews, who is missing the rest of the season with an injury, and he's been out for a couple of weeks. So Lamar Jackson is doing all of this without the best receiving core. There are other players in the MVP race that have much better receiving cores, like Brock Purdy, Tua Tungavailoa. And so the fact that, that he's been able to lead the Ravens to have to have such an such an efficient offense, despite not having a great supporting cast, is really impressive. And I think that uh, should play a big a big role in his MVP case. So yeah, those are my thoughts on Lamar Jackson's MVP case. I think he deserves to win the award. Um, I I personally might lean towards other players, but it's close. It's really close. And so um, when Lamar Jackson wins the award, I will have no issues with it whatsoever. He deserves it. I think his um, I think his film is better than the EPA data. And so I know some some people will say, hey, his, his EPA data is too low for him to win the award. 
I don't view his MVP, his MVP case that way, and I'm a stat nerd, so, like, I love EPA, I'm a big fan of expected points added, I think it's a good stat, but I think there are better numbers that you have to look at when you're, you know, evaluating individual talent, um, and EPA is a, a team stat, it does incorporate team level data, it's not just measuring a individual player's uh, contributions, and so that's one issue with that stat that people uh, may not realize, and so I would look at other stats like PFF grade that's based on film, um, I would also look at, you know, stats that measure a player's individual skill set, like accuracy, you know, PFF has a stat adjusted completion percentage that measures accuracy, um, I also care about quarterback sack avoidance, PFF has data to measure that. I love to look at the way that uh, quarterbacks perform um, throwing to different depths of the field. Um, you can look at the way they perform on intermediate throws and deep throws. Um, and then you can look at the way that quarterbacks perform under pressure. And when you look at all of that, it's clear to see that Lamar Jackson has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year. He's been awesome. And I think his MVP case is really, really good. I will say I hate how much the MVP conversation has changed week to week this year. I haven't liked that whatsoever. Um, and I, I think that Lamar Jackson has been an MVP caliber player early on this year. I think about midway through the season, he was an, an MVP caliber player. Um, but his performance the last couple of weeks have really elevated him uh, to being the favorite in the, uh, for the MVP. And I think that's good. I think he deserves it. Um, and I can't wait to see him win. His second MVP award. That would be awesome. Um, he would be one of only a few a few quarterbacks to ever win multiple MVPs. So that would be cool to see. It's been awesome to see him develop throughout his career. Um, he, he's become such a special player. And, and it's been awesome to watch him play over the last couple of years. So um, he's well deserving of an MVP award. And I can't wait to see him win it. Alright, now let's go ahead, move on, talk about the college football playoffs, the college football bowl season. Before before we do that, before we get into all of that, I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be back in just a second. Alright, we are back. Now we're going to get into some college football, talking about bowl season. Uh, we're going to talk about Georgia beating FSU, what that game means for Florida State. We'll also talk about some problems with the current bowl system in college football. And then we will react to the college football playoff semifinal games between Michigan and Alabama and in Washington and Texas. And then to close out the podcast, we will uh, preview the upcoming national championship between Michigan and Washington. Let's get started by talk, talking about Georgia's big win against Florida State. So, this past weekend, Georgia beat Florida State 63-3 to in the Orange Bowl. Man, what a performance from Georgia. They were dominant. It was a huge win for them. They end the season, I believe, 12-1. I think 12-1 is what they finished the season. Um, and they had, they had an awesome year. They were great this year. Didn't end up making the playoff because they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. But, uh, Georgia had a great year. Capped it off with an awesome performance against Florida State. Gotta give Georgia a lot of credit. They were awesome in this game. They came to play. They came to prove a point. 
and they did. They were awesome. Unfortunately, Florida State was missing a lot of key players in this game. They had nine healthy opt-outs. They were also missing Jordan Travis. I know we're missing a lot of players in the transfer portal, but so was Georgia. Georgia was missing a lot of players in the transfer portal. They didn't have as many healthy opt-outs. They had a lot of players that were playing in this game that could have opted out. Um, and, you know, obviously, they didn't have a Brock Bowers. You can consider him a hell, a hell, a, sorry, excuse me. You can consider him a healthy opt-out. Um, he was dealing with an injury, but, um, he didn't play, but Lad McConkey played, um, Carson Beck played. He was gonna play no matter what. I mean, he, he already decided to come back for next year, so he was gonna play, um, but Florida State, they were missing a lot of key players. A lot of their players who were healthy declared for the NFL draft and opted out. Obviously, they didn't have Jordan Travis, so they were at a huge disadvantage huge disadvantage for this game so although georgia was dominant and deserves praise for that i'm not sure you can there's a lot you can take away from this game florida state was at a huge disadvantage and it was basically georgia going up against florida state's practice squad really um and i'm not saying that to disrespect any of florida state's players but that's the truth they, none of their starters were playing, or sorry, a lot of their starters weren't playing, a lot of their second and third string guys were playing, and so they were just at a huge disadvantage, and so I saw a lot of, a lot of people on social media, um, using this game and this performance to say that Florida State definitely did not deserve to make the playoff. I think that's foolish. I mean, come on. Like, this was not a real football game. This was a glorified exhibition game in which a lot of Florida State's players did not play. And you can criticize Florida State's players for that, I guess, if you want to. But, like, why? 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 I mean, there was no reason for Florida State's players to play in this game. They had no incentive to play. I know a lot of people will say, well, you could have proven on the field that you deserve to make it into the playoff. But listen, they already did that by going undefeated in the regular season winning their conference championship. Like, they already put forth their bid to make it into the playoff, and the committee was like, no. Like, you're not going to make the playoff. We're, we're going to say that you didn't do enough. You weren't good enough to win a playoff game, and so you're not going to make it. So the committee already told Florida State that the results of the season, them going undefeated, winning their conference championship, all of that did not matter. So why would they then play in a game that didn't matter. Like, it makes no sense to, and to criticize Florida State for that, it's just foolish in my opinion. I get it. I, I think, I think you can praise Georgia for playing in this game. You can praise all their players for risking injury and playing in this game. I think they deserve praise for that, but I do think it's a little unfair to criticize Florida State. I think you can use this game as an opportunity to lift to lift up Georgia, to prop them up, to praise them, but I would not use this game as an opportunity to criticize Florida State. And that's just how I view the game. I am not going to criticize Florida State for their performance, and I will not criticize their players for sending out. Um, now, this leads to a big question. How do you fix bowl season? Because bowl season is broken right now. There are major issues with bowl season, and we have to figure out how to fix it. Um, and the big issue is that a lot of players are opting out 
of bowl season. They're, they're not playing in their team's bowl games. Whether that be, whether that be because they're transferring, whether that be because they're entering the NFL draft, whatever. For, uh, for many reasons, players are opting out of their bowl games and not playing. This leads to worse matchups. This leads to worse bowl games. And it leads to one-sided matchups in some cases. And so that is a huge issue. Now, why, why is this? Why are players opting out? Well, they don't have an, in, they don't have an incentive to play. Players need to be incentivized to play these games because right now, they're just a glorified exhibition game. And the idea of having non-playoff game, non-playoff bowl games after the regular season and after uh, conference championship week, it's kind of silly when you think about it. It's kind of silly, kind of foolish, doesn't make a lot of sense. And so players don't have any incentive to play. And it, it, there's a lot of risk with um, playing in a bowl game right now. There's a lot of risk, um, you know, when it comes to NIL opportunities through the transfer portal and the NFL draft. There's a lot of risk. And so a lot of players are opting out because they just don't think that the games are worth playing in. And so... The NCAA has to make the bowl games worth playing. The people in charge have to make the bowl games worth playing. Um, I think there are a few solutions that could, you know, fix bowl season. I think you could change the date of the transfer portal, make it to where the transfer portal opens up after bowl season. I think that could help. You could also give um, cash or NIL incentives to winners of the mobile games that could make the mobile games worth playing in. Um, but you have to do something to give the players an incentive to win these games. You have to. You have to. That's that's the change that is going to make mobile season. You know what it used to be. But for now, um, mobile season just isn't what it used to be. The players don't feel like it's worth playing in the mobile games. And so we need some major changes to, to occur, um, and we need some major changes to bowl season to make it what it used to be, because bowl season used to be awesome. I mean, I remember watching a ton of bowl games when I was in middle school, high school, and I loved bowl season. But I have a brain. I'm smart. I understand that the bowl games just aren't worth it for the players. And so I'm not going to criticize the players for sitting out. They shouldn't play. It's not smart for them to play these games. They're exhibition games that don't matter, and it's just another opportunity for players to get hurt. And so I get why they don't play, and I don't blame them. I think it's smart for them to sit out. Honestly, I do. And so I get it. I understand it. Um, but we got to make some changes to bowl season um, and make it to where players feel like it's worth playing in these games. That'll change bowl season and make it great like it used to be. All right. I'm done with my rant uh, with Florida State and bowl season as it currently stands. Now we can talk about the college football playoff semifinals. Let's go ahead and dive into the Michigan-Alabama game. So, Michigan-Alabama, awesome game. Michigan ended up winning 27-20 in overtime. And this was the Rose Bowl. And I just got to say, the Rose Bowl is incredible. It always is. I love that stadium. It's always a great atmosphere. It's incredible. And I really enjoyed this game. Now, Michigan dominated the first half. You know, let me get a, let me get a drink real quick before I talk about this game. Um, my, my, my mouth is getting a little bit dry. So, Michigan dominated the first half. I know the score was 13 and 10 at halftime, but the game did not, the score at half did not reflect the game. Michigan was dominating Alabama in the first half. 
especially on defense. They were really good defensively to start this game. But uh, Michigan had some had some screw-ups that really hurt them. They had a muff punt that led to a touchdown. Um, and that, that was a big reason why the score was so close at halftime. Um, and so in the first half, Michigan was rolling. Their defense was great. They had some big drives on offense. Um, and they were playing really, really well. But in the second half, things changed. Alabama was much better in the second half. Uh, Michigan was much worse. And Alabama was able to take a 20-13 to lead late in the fourth quarter. Michigan had a crazy final drive in regulation that they had a fourth down conversion uh, plus a crazy catch from Roman Wilson. And then they were able to score a touchdown to tie the game. Michigan almost lost the game, though, in regulation. They had a muffed punt. After getting a stop with less than a minute to go, they were able to get the ball back, recover the, the muff punt, um, had the ball near their own end zone, but they were able to run out the clock, uh, take the game to overtime, and then in overtime, they scored quickly. They went up 27-20 in overtime, and then Alabama, they drove down the field, had a fourth and goal from the three, and they failed to score on a QB draw, um, or what looked like a quarterback draw. Um, Michigan stopped it, so Michigan walked away with a W. It was a crazy game, and the final play call from Alabama was really interesting. It looked like they were trying to throw the ball to a running back who was, you know, like on a swing pattern out to the left, but the snap was low, and that was a major issue for Alabama in this game. Their center struggled a lot. Their center had a ton of bad snaps. They had a low snap there on the final play, and I think that's what led to Jalen Milrow running the ball up the middle. It looked like he possibly had a an angle to run to the left, but there was a defender there that could have potentially gotten him down and tackled him, so I'm, I'm not sure that he could have actually scored there, but it looked like he may have had an opportunity to score. We'll never know, but Alabama, or sorry, Michigan got a stop there, won the game. I will say, um, Michigan's defense, amazing throughout the game, had a 56% stop rate, an 18% havoc rate, and had 11 tackles for loss, plus six sacks. Their defense was dominant in this game, um, kept Alabama from being able to, to being able to throw the ball consistently. Alabama's passing attack was really, really bad in this game. Jalen Milroy was able to do a lot of things as a scrambler. Um, he was super effective running outside the pocket, but they weren't able to do that consistently, and they weren't able to throw the ball down the field, so their offense wasn't super consistent. Now, Michigan, although they were great on defense, they were really shaky offensively. They could not throw the ball consistently, um, especially in the second half. Their run game was not as good in the second half as it was in the first half, and their special teams was terrible. They had a lot of a lot of mistakes on special teams. They had a few muffed punts. They had a missed extra point, a missed field goal. Their special teams was terrible really bad, and that played a huge part in this game being a lot closer than it should have been. Michigan really should have dominated this game and won possibly by double digits, but um, they had a lot of mistakes that really hurt them. But in the end, they came out with a win, uh, ha- had some huge drives offensively. Their defense came through in overtime, and they won this game 27-20. to Shout out to Michigan. They go into the national championship with Jim Harbaugh for the first time, and that's awesome. Um, I know a lot of people are going to hate Michigan because of the sign-stealing scandal. Um, we'll, say, we'll see how all that plays out, but for now, they're in the national championship, and 
and, and that's cool to see. I'm glad they beat Alabama because I'm an Auburn fan. I hate Alabama. War Eagle. Now we can move on. Talk about Texas versus Washington. This was an incredible game as well. Both of the semifinal matchups were awesome and came down to the wire. Washington won this game 37-31. I got to give a huge shout out to Michael Penix and Washington's passing attack. They were awesome. They were electric. Michael Penix had one of his best games ever. He was awesome in this game. Super accurate throwing the ball down the field. He was also really good at moving within the pocket. Rome Adunze and the entire Washington receiving corps was awesome in this game. Um, and so... Washington's offense was super effective in this game. They were able to get a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. Um, Texas was able to come back, though. They scored a touchdown. Washington had the ball late in this game, and they were trying to run down the clock because they were up 37-31 to with around a minute to go. So they were running the ball, trying to run down the clock. I think Texas had two timeouts at this point, so they were at a, mis a bit of a disadvantage when it came to the time. Um, Washington at one point ran the ball on third down, trying to get a trying to get a first down because that would have ended the game. But their running back got hurt with around 47 seconds left in the game, and so there was an injury timeout. No time ran off the clock after that, and that was a huge moment because if the running back didn't get hurt, uh, the clock would have ran down, and Texas would have gotten the ball with like 10 seconds left on their own 20. Maybe, maybe their own 10. I don't know where they would have gotten backed up to, but they would have been in a really tough spot. But um, instead, the clock was stopped with, with 47 seconds left. Um, Washington went in the punt. They had a false start, which pushed them back five yards. And then when they actually punted the ball, there was a, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the name of the penalty. It was like, uh, it was like catcher's interference. They interfered with the person who was returning the punt, and I think that was a 10-yard penalty. So that gave Texas the ball at their own 30-yard line with 47 seconds left, down seven, or sorry, down six. So at one point, it looked like they were, they had a very little chance to win the game, and then they had a very realistic shot to win the game, and their final drive was crazy. They had two incompletions to their tight end, bringing up a third and 10. Then they had a deep throw uh, to the right side of the field, threw the ball deep, had a receiver with one-on-one -on -one coverage, and the receiver made a great play, caught the ball um, in Washington territory, and then Texas had another throw to the sideline, which gave them the ball in the red zone at like the 10, 15-yard line. It was a, a great catch by the receiver. And so at that point, Texas had the ball with around 15 seconds left. They were going to have a few opportunities to throw the ball into the end zone to possibly score. And then, for whatever reason, Steve Sarkeesian lost his mind. His play calling on the final drive was awful. Um, when they got into the red zone, he just, I don't know what happened, but on the first play, first and 10, um, they had 15 seconds left, and they threw the ball to the running back in the flat on the right side of the field. He runs out of, out of bounds, thankfully, but that play wasted five seconds, and that was a play where they could have thrown the ball into the end zone to give themselves a realistic shot of scoring on that play, but they didn't, so that just wasted time. And then they had a play where um, 
Quinn Ewers, their quarterback, got pressured. He was running outside of the outside of the pocket, had to throw it away because he was getting sacked. He he was able to throw the ball away, and the the ball um, was caught by a a ball boy. I believe it was a ball boy. It may have been a staffer. Um, and the guy caught it with one second left. So Texas had one second left on the clock. Texas goes to throw the ball on the final play. Uh, Ewers throws like a a fade to the right side of the end zone to his receiver, the Washington DB. I don't know his name off the top of my head. He makes a great play, deflects the ball, knocks it to the ground. Washington wins. It looked like Ewers had a had a chance to potentially throw the ball on a rope uh, to his receiver on the right side of the end zone, and maybe maybe if he did that, he would have had a good opportunity to score. But instead, he throws the ball up, lobs it up to his receiver in the back of the end zone. Washington gets a stop. They win the game, 37-31. It was a crazy game. It was awesome. Really fun game. A lot of scoring. Both offenses were pretty good. Uh, Texas was really good running the ball. Washington was really good passing the ball. Neither neither team's defense was all that great, but Washington was able to come away with a stop in the end. They win 37-31. Their undefeated season keeps on going. Now they are in the national championship. Awesome to see their their incredible season continue. And now they're going to play Michigan. And Michigan, I think I saw that Michigan was either a three and a half or a four and a half point favorite in the national championship. And this is a very interesting matchup because Michigan and Washington are like polar opposites. Michigan is a really good defensive team who likes to run the ball. That's their bread and butter, running the ball and playing defense. They're also really good at the small things in terms of, you know, limiting turnovers and um, limiting penalties. And then they're really good on special teams. Usually they weren't against Alabama, but that has also been a major strength of theirs this season. And then Washington... They're not great defensively, but they are really good offensively, and they can throw the ball, which is something that Michigan is not as good at doing. Michigan can throw the ball a little bit, but that is not the strength of their offense, and they are no no way nowhere near as good throwing the ball as Washington is. And so, um, I think that is one area where Washington has an advantage throwing the ball. They can throw the ball down the field, which is huge. I'm a little bit worried about their defense. I'm not sure they can stop Michigan's run game. I think Michigan can throw the ball a little bit on Washington's defense. And I'm a little bit worried that if Washington isn't able to throw the ball in this game, I think they will. But hypothetically, if that is something that that they struggle with, I think they're going to really struggle in this game. So I think Michigan is going to win this game. I think they're a, I think they match up well with Washington. Um, it'll be interesting to see how well Washington can throw the ball on Michigan's defense. I think they'll be able to throw the ball at a decent level because they've played a lot of good defenses this year and their passing attack has been good every single time. So I trust Washington's passing attack. I'm not sure their defense will be good enough. Um, to, you know, keep Michigan's offense at May. That's a major, a major question mark with Washington's team. But yeah, I think Michigan will win, but I could see the game being pretty close. Um, which, you know, hopefully it is. Hopefully the game is close. Hopefully it's a close matchup. But yeah, those are my thoughts on the playoff semifinal games and the upcoming national championship. I can't wait to, for that game that happened next week. I'm excited, but yeah. Well, That's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. Um, This was a good episode. 
I enjoyed it. I hope y'all did as well. If you did enjoy it, and if you're watching on YouTube, I would greatly appreciate it if you would like the video and subscribe so you never miss an upload. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, I would love it if you would leave a review. That would help me out a lot. But yeah, that's all we got for today's episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know I did. And I will see y'all next time. Peace.